Jason's alive. He killed my friend, now he's coming for me. He's got a death curse. Jason's a legend. I'm Mrs. Ward, an old friend of the Christie's. Jason belongs to hell. You're doing if you stay here. Never come back again. You see, Jason was my son. And today is his birthday. Good evening, and welcome to another episode of Return to Camp Blood. I'm your host, Nathan Barker. Recently, we have had another Friday the 13th book made available on Amazon called Slash of the Titans. This book details the long path to Freddy vs. Jason, from the surprise ending scene in Jason Goes to Hell and beyond. It covers scripts that didn't make the cut, along with other various information and interviews. I recently picked up a copy for myself and would like to welcome the author, Dustin McNeil, on to chat about the project. So thanks for joining me, and how are you this evening, Dustin? Hey, Nathan, thanks for having me on. I'm, I'm doing great. Awesome. I'm glad we could find the time to uh, get you on the show. The book, uh, if I recall correctly, came out right about four weeks ago. I think it came out at the end of March. Is that correct? I think that's right, yeah. And it is available on Amazon and I believe your website. And is there any other areas that, uh, or websites or places that people can pick up a copy? Yeah, you know, it is available on Amazon and, and on freddyversusjasonbook.com. I think also Barnes and Noble and some other booksellers. It's kind of spreading slowly, like a. It's just it's getting out there. Oh yeah, definitely takes some time. Like I said, uh, you know, the first few weeks, you know, it takes a while to get the buzz out there. And like I said, of course, uh, obviously, if you order online, it takes a little bit to get your copy in the mail. So I recently got mine about a week ago, so I've had a chance to you know read bits here and there. I haven't had a chance to read the whole thing. However, I am personally aware of a lot of the information that is in the book, so it was just nice to see some of the, uh, there's some updated interviews in there and just some other information. So it's a, a, an awesome book, and I can't wait to read the rest of it. Thank you. It was, uh, I hope it's as fun to read as it was to write, because I, I essentially wrote the kind of book that I would want to read myself. I think it's a really interesting topic, and it, I don't think most fans were aware of just how many writers did work on the project. They knew there were rejected scripts, but the fact that they were, there were 17 official Freddy vs. Jason screenwriters that the, even the Writers Guild, when they were doing the arbitration process, went and spoke to, to all of them individually and looked at all the contributions to make sure that the final Freddy vs. Jason that we got was written exclusively by, you know, Shannon and Swift, but that they were standing on the shoulders of 15 other screenwriters. It's really just kind of, it's so unique and amazing to me. Absolutely. It's definitely been a long path. And I think it's, you know, great to have a book that actually illustrates, you know, that entire journey. Like you said, some people might not be aware that there was that amount of screenwriters. Obviously they're aware of the different stories, you know, there's documentaries and things out there, books other books that do mention that. So there is a lot of information out there about, you know, how the film did come together from when it was first, you know, mentioned back in the eighties. So with that in mind, you know, is Freddy versus Jason, your favorite film? And that's what I guess, you know, inspired you to write the book or what was the, what was the reason for the project's development in the first place? Well, it's not my favorite film from either franchise. I I do love both franchises and pretty much every movie in both franchises. But I just enjoy it as a fun, 
rompy horror blockbuster movie. I was in high school when it came out, so I was the perfect age. And I think I connected to it because it was the first time I got to see Freddie and Jason on the big screen, you know, for my generation. So it was special for that reason. And then I just, I was curious, you know, Friday the 13th and Elm Street fans are very curious. You know, we want to know what were the deleted scenes? What were the original scripts? What was the, what are the props like? How do they make the masks and the gloves? And so in poking around just out of curiosity, I kind of found myself going down the rabbit hole of the project's development. And one thing led to another, and I eventually just decided this is a really big story that could be told in, in greater detail. Because it, it was mentioned in documentaries like Never Sleep Again and, of course, the fantastic Crystal Lake Memories book, but not the full story. You know, they, they definitely you know, broke new ground on revealing the project's history, but it's just – it's so big that, you know, it's – well, like I, I thought it deserved its own book. So that's that's kind of the genesis of the project. And I think that's a great idea also. I'm I'm kind of surprised that someone hadn't really released a book even similar to this magnitude before, like you said, just because it is such a big story. But, uh, I mean, as of right now, I mean, it's, it's, it's going to be hard to top the amount of information that's in this. I think your book's going to stand up to, to time, you know, all the way down the road, no doubt. Well, thank you. If someone does happen to come along and write a more detailed book, I'll be the first one to pick it up because I think it's a, a really interesting subject. And what surprised me about all the unmade Freddy vs. Jason scripts is that the people that I talked to that were screenwriters or production executives or development personnel were all really positive towards the subject. Even though theirs didn't get made, they spent a year or more developing this project, they thought it was going to become the actual Freddy versus Jason, and it didn't. They still were so warm in discussing it. They look back fondly on it. I, I, I might have been a little bitter if I was them and my script got tossed aside, but you know, they, they looked back on it uh, fondly. So I, that was cool to hear their, their energy and uh, enthusiasm for the project, even 20 years later, because some of those old Freddy versus Jason scripts are more than 20 years old now. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. There's uh, the the earlier ones. I mean, considering you know the year that we're in now, they would be over 20 years. So that's absolutely correct. But that was that was actually a question that I was going to ask you, and you basically already answered it. Was some of the people that you reached out to to discuss the book about on the past scripts? I was just going to ask, you know, if they were more than happy to discuss it now. You know, that some time has passed and maybe the bitterness has worn off, and uh, you basically answered that one. So it's glad to hear that people, you know, are ready to discuss it, and you know are happy about it now. Yeah. The, I didn't read, I didn't speak to anyone that was bitter about it. I think the people that are bitter about it or not necessarily bitter, but just don't want to talk about it. Didn't talk to me. Uh, I was warned by people that know Rob Botine that he probably wasn't going to open up about it. You can, I, I did reach out to him, didn't hear anything back, but people who have known him for some time just said, it's not a good subject. And uh, the same with Mike DeLuca, who spent, you know, eight or nine years so invested in the uh, in the crossover, and then he was, you know, uh, infamously fired from New Line in uh, 2000 or 2001, just before the movie started to take off, which had to be such a disappointment to have uh, watched over this project for so long, and then 
just as it's happening, you're let go from the studio that you've been with for over a decade. And he didn't just lose Freddy vs. Jason. He lost Lord of the Rings. He lost a lot of properties that he was developing. So I, I didn't I, – I tried to talk to those people, but I, I just guess it's not – it's kind of a sore subject. I, I can see how it would be. I can definitely understand that also. And with that in mind, is there maybe anyone who you did reach out to that was interested in sharing stories or information that you just simply couldn't get it worked out, you know, to get with them for an interview or uh, a discussion of some sorts? I think everyone that I reached out to that, that wanted to discuss it, I was able to make time for. I spent just over a year writing the book so if you know i reached out to robert england very early on and he, he was he kept saying i'm interested but i don't have time right now can you call me next month and eventually we did find time so i, I yeah. tried to to be patient on everyone because i wanted as many voices in the book as possible oh absolutely and he definitely is a busy guy so that's certainly understandable and I was about to mention that there is an updated interview here with Robert England and also from Ken himself. So I haven't actually read the Ken interview. I'm looking forward to uh, getting a chance to read that portion as well, since Ken is one that we don't really get a, a chance to hear much from, you know, from time to time. I'd like for him to be on the show one of these days. So hopefully we can make that happen. So I'm anxious to read that interview as well. Yeah, Ken is such a, a friendly guy and, and, I, I love his performance in Freddy vs. Jason. I know there's a lot of controversy surrounding it. People have very strong opinions on it. But I loved him in the film, and in talking with him, I found him to be a really nice guy who, who had some interesting theories, n not only about the character Jason, but the story of Freddy vs. Jason. Uh, kind of a theory on the ending that I hadn't thought of before. But, um, yeah, he's, he, he'd be great to have on the show. Yeah, definitely. I'm going to be reaching out to him soon. I had a chance to talk with him a little bit at the 10th anniversary for the film, you know, several years ago in Indianapolis at a convention, but I haven't seen him at any of the ones that I've been to recently. So hopefully, hopefully that'll happen later on this year, or uh, we can maybe get in touch with him and, you know, find some time to get him on the show. Um, like I said, I'd like to talk to him in person, but either way, um, if he's interested, we'll definitely have him on. But speaking of the interviews, just looking at the list of the interview directory, just to mention a few of the names that are on here, Tom McLaughlin, who's been on the show, Adam Marcus. Um, Adam Marcus will be on one of these days as soon as we get some time. Him and I have had some discussions. Sean Cunningham, who's also been on the show. Um, of course, uh, Damian Shannon, Mark Swift, you know, Ken and Robert, et cetera, et cetera. But the first thing that I noticed when I was looking through this directory to see which ones I wanted to read first, I noticed that Kane Hodder was not on this list. Now, many of you know that Kane, as far as Freddy versus Jason is concerned, that's a bit of a sore subject for him. So is there any specific reason as to why maybe Kane is not featured in the book? I mean, did you reach out to him at all? I did reach out to Kane, and I think there's really two reasons why he didn't participate in the book. One, I reached out to him right before he launched the crowdfunding effort for his new documentary, uh, the one about his entire career as an actor and stuntman. I, I forget the name of it suddenly. But, uh, you know, so he was very busy with that at the time. But also, I was told by his agent that it is still a sore subject, and he addressed it in great detail in his autobiography, the book. So he didn't really want to revisit it. I thought it would be great to hear from him because 
not only should he have ultimately, he really should have played Jason. He deserved it. He, he earned it. Uh, the screenwriters for the early drafts, when they were creating the scripts and the Jason scenes, they saw Kane Hodder in their head. They wrote scenes that were very uh, Kane Hodder-esque Jason moments that were perfect for him that other actors could have done. But when you put Kane Hodder in those moments, it just fits perfectly. And so I just wanted to hear um, if he had an opportunity to read some of those scripts and, and what his thoughts on the project's long development were. You know, if he just, yeah, I mean, who knows? I, I think there's uh, many questions the fans would love to hear him speak on that weren't necessarily addressed in his book. I have not had a chance to read his book yet. I have a copy of it, but it's just one of those things where you got to find the time to read it. I've had it for a while now, and one of these days I hope to get to that. So, you know, I was just curious since that's one of the names that you often hear people talk about is the stories of, you know, why Kane didn't get it. Obviously, Crystal Lake Memories, the interviews in there, and, you know, other articles and things that have been featured on various horror websites, and no one seems to have an exact answer as to, you know, why did Kane not get the selection, you know, um, you're aware of all of that information, obviously. So uh, I was hoping that maybe you might have been able to dig up something a little bit new as far as that's concerned. But it it, it looks like that it's basically the, the same information for now. Well, I'll tell you this. I didn't want to make that a big point in the book because it's a controversy that's been talked about a lot. But I think there is a comment in one of the interviews, and I won't say which interview. You can read the book and see it because I don't want it to become one of the selling points of the book. But I think someone accidentally kind of infers who made the decision. You know, there's been a lot of finger pointing. Oh, it was the studio. Oh, it was the director. Oh, it was so-and-so. Well, I, I think it kind of accidentally comes out or it's inferred by someone who worked on the film who ultimately made that choice. Because right before filming began, it's revealed in one of the interviews that the filmmakers sat down after hearing the outcry over the recasting, and they actually watched two of Kane's movies as Jason, just to make sure, you know, we don't want to reconsider our decision. And at the end of it, someone who it's, you know, that, this is in the book, uh, said, okay, we watched two of his Jason performances. We still want to go with Ken Kersinger. So I think... For all the finger pointing, the person who says that and makes that decision, I think you have to take the responsibility that you reviewed Kane Hodder, you rejected Kane Hodder, and you're still going with Ken. And for me, the buck stops with that person. And that's a that's a good point. That is definitely a good point. And I have not read that particular interview of the person that you're referring to, so I will definitely be doing that very soon when I finish off, you know, the rest of them. So, but other than that, I didn't happen to notice any information that isn't already been talked about, you know, a hundred times by now. Yeah. It's just, it's, it's one paragraph uh, towards the end of the book. And I, I didn't, for whatever reason, I just didn't want that to be kind of like a cheap gossipy selling point of the book. I'm mentioning it now, but it's not in, you know, it's not on the back of the book or in the advertising for it, but uh, I know it's something people are still wondering about. Absolutely, and that's something that's probably going to get discussed until the end of time. I mean, that's just my opinion anyway. Yeah. So let's uh, let's talk a little bit about some of these scripts that didn't make it. Now, 
without getting into too much detail, there's a lot of people out there that are aware of the multitude of scripts, and obviously you're highlighting the the ones that didn't make it. So with all the time that you spent, all the research, the interviews, et cetera, et cetera, what is your favorite script that got the ax? So that's a really hard question to answer. And for, for most of the time I worked on the book, I told myself that I wasn't going to pick one because I think you can find really positive things about every single script that was rejected. I think they all have some really great moments and attributes. But ultimately, if I had to pick one that could have been made, I think the one by Brannon Braga and Ronald D. Moore, the Braga-Moore script. They were Star Trek writers who had never written a horror film before, but they were brought on in 94 or 95 to draft their script. And and their script is not based on the Jason Voorhees that we know. It's based on the real Jason Voorhees, kind of like New Nightmare was based in reality. In this script, the Friday the 13th movies exist as movies. And so this movie is about a more human Jason being haunted by Freddy. And I thought it was uh, one of the most Jason-centric scripts in the history of the project. I thought most scripts skewed toward Freddy. They felt like an Elm Street film with a guest appearance by Jason. Ah, That wasn't something I particularly cared for. I I liked the balance. And so I would say the Braga Moore script because it really has a lot of Jason in it. A lot of Jason. Yeah, each one does have their own element, and it certainly would be tough to make a decision on that. And that's something that I think we're going to explore in a later episode, just to give a little hint, hint. Uh, there are enough you know, scripts out there that got axed. I think some of those are, are worthy of having some discussion about. So, But yeah, that, that basis for that version, you know, that draft, is definitely interesting. And, you know, uh, it doesn't surprise me that... You know, somebody like that, you know, the sci-fi guys, you know, come up with something a little bit, you know, more, more, uh, I don't want to call it out there, but just something that we've never seen before with Friday. And, you know, that was really important to me also that they gave Jason his fair share of, of screen time and his portion of the story, because by the, by virtue of Jason being silent, he's kind of, his presence is often overshadowed by Freddie because Freddie never shuts up. He's always talking. And Jason doesn't. So in some Freddy vs. Jason scripts, like the very first one from 1993, Jason isn't resurrected until the third act. And he, he is resurrected from the dead and goes straight to the finale. He's, I mean, he, he's barely in the movie as far as I'm concerned. And that's just that's, – that's not the way to go with it. You know, Jason needs to have – be a focal point of the story with Freddy. You don't need – you know, Nightmare on Elm Street 9 or 10, guest-starring Jason Voorhees. That's not Freddy versus Jason for me. And so that's one of the reasons I like the the Braggamore script. Yeah, I can certainly understand that, and I totally agree. It should basically be a, a half and half. If you're going to have Freddy versus Jason, you should basically have a 50-50 split in the time. And I think that one definitely would have been a good example of that. And I think the the version that we got, you know, I think the, the Shannon Swift version, you know, did exactly that. At least that's the way that I feel when I watch the film. You know, I feel that way, too. I, I thought the Freddy versus Jason we got, it's not high art. It's not gone with the wind, but it's fun. And it. I think it does balance the characters. But what's weird about that is you and I think it has balance. 
I've talked to people who think, oh, no, there's way more Freddy. And then people who say, no, there's way too much Jason. So I really think it's um, it's about your perspective and, and what you bring to it. It's It's definitely subjective. Yeah, I definitely agree with that, too. But like you mentioned before, I think that some people might look at it that way simply because, like you said, Jason doesn't talk. So Freddy's a little bit more overpowering at times with all of his one-liners and everything thrown in there. So I just look at it based on, you know, I know Jason doesn't talk, but obviously what do I see on the screen? You know, if Jason's on the screen, you know, Freddy's on the screen, you know, how much actual screen time rather than, you know, talk time, you know, that's not really a, a fair comparison. So when I just view it objectively as to screen time, I think it's a pretty even split. Yeah, yeah. And of course, it's also nice to have, you know, you don't want the entire film to take place on Elm Street. So it's nice that the movie we got also goes to Crystal Lake. That that, that felt right in terms of splitting the environment. Yes, absolutely. And that's another point that I was actually going to mention was that we do get the split in other ways than just the screen time. So obviously some of the other scripts, we didn't have that. So I think they I think they did a really nice job just in general with the movie. I, I'm a fan of Freddy versus Jason. I was, uh, you know, in my 20s, my early 20s when that film came out. So that one always hit home with me. And it, it, I'll, I'll tell you this. It's funny that thinking just last week, actually, I was uh, having a discussion with another huge Friday fan and Freddy versus Jason, the topic came up. And this person, who I won't mention, but he brought up a very good point. And nowadays, when I watch Freddy versus Jason, you know, I love the film, but if you were younger at that time, you know, you can relate more to everything that you see on the films, just like for older people now who were younger in the 80s, you know, it works both ways. But when I watched the movie, the point that he was making was it almost seems more dated than watching the 80s films. And I said, well, that's probably, you know, just because, you know, you were, that was in your time, you know, you were younger at that time, just like, younger, you know, older people now were in the 80s. So I don't know if maybe since you were younger, you said you were in high school when the film came out. Do you, does any of that resonate with you? Yeah, well, I kind of, it, it may not be fair to do this, but I kind of lump Freddy versus Jason in with some of the 90s teen slasher movies like Disturbing Behavior and Halloween H2O. And it, it's kind of past that in the timeline, but it feels very similar to me. And so if I date it at all in terms of, um, uh, point or in the you know genre history that's where i lump it into and if you if you like that dawson's creek style of um of slasher film then you know you'll look back fondly on it and if you hated it then it's another reason not to like freddy versus jason which a lot of people seem to have it's it's a divisive film i i find yeah, I can certainly understand what you mean by that, and I totally agree. And I think maybe that's just for some of us, you know, like I said, that might have been in your late teens or early 20s when the film came out. Some of the comments might just be, you know, maybe just because it makes us kind of feel old, you know. It's like, uh, you know, that the music that's very specific to the time period uh, that you hear in the film, you know, the new metal and a lot of that stuff you know, that was kind of a, a fad type thing. So I, I think you're right with that. And I think some of the comments might just simply be because people are just feeling older and it, it's just a, a reflection back, if you will. Yeah, and and also, you know, being that there, at the time of Freddy versus Jason, there were what, 10 Jason films and seven Freddy films. And so that is so, so much history on those characters. 
that we don't all go into Freddy vs. Jason liking the same things about Freddy vs. Jason. I might love Jason Lives. You might love Part 2. And that's going to gauge our expectations for Freddy vs. Jason. And so I, I think that's what's so hard about pleasing everyone with it. You pretty much can't do it because we all like different things about the characters. We all say, oh, I love Jason, but uh, my God, from one to ten, that's a huge range of uh, tone and character exploration and story from Jason X to, say, final chapter. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. And with that in mind, you know, you, you obviously can't please everyone. And I think the people behind the pens, you know, the people behind the cameras, you know, they knew that they weren't going to please everyone. There was always going to be haters, you know, regardless. And Jason obviously gets more hate in this film than Freddie does because Freddie really hasn't changed a whole lot over the years, whereas we've had tons of different versions of Jason's. And I don't know what your thoughts on the situation are, but the thing that I hear most in my conversations with Friday fans anytime we talk about Freddie versus Jason is Jason being Frankenstein. So I don't know. What are your thoughts on that situation? I mean, all the time that you spent with the book, I mean, was that uh, stuff that you had to hear about a lot was the movements and the version of Jason that we got being like Frankenstein? You know, I, I get that um, observation and I, it, it's not necessarily untrue, but if you look at the unmade scripts, there were versions of Jason where he was almost a good guy, where he literally shook hands with the heroes and chauffeured them around in an ambulance and went through a drive through at McDonald's with them. I mean, Jason did that. There's so many different takes on Jason in these scripts. And so what people that say, Oh, they made him like Frankenstein. Well, you should have seen what they almost did to him. They almost really changed him. And so, you know, I, I think maybe they just distilled the most basic elements of Freddy and Jason for the crossover. And, because of that, we didn't get a ton of characterization for Jason where we maybe could have. I thought the if you you know the comics that actually followed, where we had Freddy versus Jason versus Ash, I thought those gave a lot of wonderful characterization to Jason that was missing from the crossover film. So, um, the biggest thing that I hear, the biggest complaint about Jason and Freddy versus Jason is, oh, why is he afraid of water? We've seen Jason in the lake many times and now suddenly he's afraid of water well that's actually not what they were trying to depict um the screenwriters shannon and swift talk about that in their interview and i go into i really break it down i probably spend too much time in the book talking about how what we saw in Freddy versus jason wasn't that jason was afraid of water it was all taking place in jason's subconscious that entire scene was metaphorical and so I think some poor directing, not that Ronnie Yu was a bad director, but I think that scene could have been directed better to convey what they meant. Because no, Jason's not afraid of water. And I don't think the filmmakers wanted to say that, but it, it kind of came off that way. That's the complaint that I hear uh, most often about Jason in the movie, aside from it not being Kane Hodder. Yeah, the Kane Hodder, the Frankenstein Jason, I was also going to mention, you know, basically what you just said, and I agree. And the way that I looked at it the first time that I watched it is I understood from the first viewing of it that it was a subconscious thought. I knew, obviously, that it 
it wasn't meant to be like what others interpret it to be. So, you know, I guess it just depends on, you know, what your knowledge is on Jason and, you know, how you viewed the film the first time or even the second time. But right from the get go, I knew that that was not the case. So I always tried to explain that, you know, hey, that's not really what's going on. And usually when people think about it, they're like, oh, yeah, you know, I guess that's right. And their thoughts kind of change. But the Kane Hodder thing, the Frankenstein thing, you know, that's just going to be issues with people for forever. Yeah, yeah. I don't expect that the book will change anyone's opinion about Freddy versus Jason. But if I'm able to change someone's opinion about that scene to where they can at least go, okay, I kind of get what they were going for, then I'll consider that an accomplishment. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Definitely. And like I said, it just takes sometimes to re-explain it in a different way for people to, for the light bulb to click and people be like, oh yeah, you know, now I can understand because they're seeing it in a different way and not really thinking about the big picture. They just see, you know, Jason curled up on the ground and thinking, you know, that that's, that's what's happening in real life when it's like, no, 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 no. It's actually a subconscious thought that's going on. So yeah, I mean, even if you could sway a few people, then, you know, that would be great. And, And if Jason was going to have a fear wouldn't his only fear not be of water, but it, it would be of drowning, right? I mean, that's how he died. As a as a you know little human boy, that was probably the last fear he felt before his life changed completely. And so I like that that um, you know approach to it, especially oh, considering sure. that Freddy plays on fear. But I'm I'm talking it to death now. I'm sorry. <laughs> oh no, and you're absolutely right. But the thing is, obviously, we see Jason in prior installments you know, going into the lake after people with no fear at all. So, but if you were to, you know, transform that, you know, in a film to try to turn it into a fear, you know, if Freddie were, you know, trying to manipulate Jason, then, you know, of course that would be something that's expected. But from prior films, we're clearly aware that Jason is absolutely not afraid of water. Yeah. But yeah, let's talk a little bit about some of the bumps in the road that you might've had with the project. Obviously you said you've spent a year on it there had to have been you know some obviously ups and downs you know what were some of the setbacks that you had to get to the finished product well you know i don't know that um i had that many setbacks i intended for the book to be unauthorized from the beginning because i anticipated that getting the rights to include concept art from the studio and the screenwriters who created the material depicted and the artists was going to be a costly and legal web. So I I expected that the book would be unauthorized, and that's actually how I prefer to write, because you know, there are a few controversies in the book, and there are some stuff where one writer goes, I hated this script that was before mine, and someone else goes, I hated that guy's script. It was terrible. Where I just let the I just let the interview interviews speak for themselves and there's no censoring. There's no official, you know, story here where this is what they want you to hear. This is I'm an independent party reporting my findings. And so there's no censoring and there's no um, spin on any of this, which I think is good because, in, in you know, it, you pop in some of the older DVDs and you watch some of the, uh, you know, supplemental material that the studio will create. And it's very fluffy and nice and everyone's getting along. Well, everyone didn't necessarily get along. On Freddy versus Jason, some people butted heads. Some people were rivals. Some people, you know, had uh, strong opinions. And I, I like to read about that. Not that I like controversy for controversy's sake, but it's more reflective of how it really was. And so I don't think there were necessarily bumps in the road. I would have loved to have gotten Michael DeLuca 
but I expected not to. And um, I was just too excited to get people like Robert England and Ken Kersinger and Sean Cunningham. I mean, just to get to talk to uh, legends in my mind was um, was the best. I just assumed there would probably be a couple, you know, bumps along the way. So I was just curious, but it sounds like it went pretty smooth. And, and that's a little surprising to me. Um, no one told me to go to hell. No one, um, you know, said, uh, don't, don't talk about my script. Don't mention, I, you know, it was, it was pretty smooth, surprisingly. Awesome. Now I had contacted you, you know, earlier asking about, a hardback version and you obviously only just have the paperback version. So just for our listeners out there who like to, you know, collect autographs and attend the conventions and stuff, do you have any thoughts on maybe offering a hardback version here down the road? I don't. And my thought on that is, you know, my first book was on the making of the phantasm movies. It had over 300 pictures. And so it's a very visual collector's type of item. And that seemed appropriate for a hardback version. This book does have illustrations in it and a few pictures, but it's not nearly as graphic. And so it just seems to me there has to be a level of investment to get a hardback version going and a level of interest, and I want it to be a worthwhile product. So it just seems to me the type of book this is isn't necessarily best suited for hardback treatment. So uh, that's that's my take on that. I'm sorry if I disappoint anyone with that. I know a few. I've had a few people ask about it. One guy asked about an audiobook version. That's that's definitely not going to happen. Um, but for now, I think it's just going to be the paperback. Understandable, and that's one thing I did notice compared to some of the others is it definitely doesn't have the amount of pictures, you know, like your Phantasm book or obviously a Crystal Lake Memories, you know, books of that nature. Uh, there's definitely you know, illustrations throughout. So there's not going to be any lack of that. There's, you know, pictures of prosthetics from the film and, you know, some of uh, the outfits and just some other random things. And which, you know, for those of you that buy it, you'll see exactly what I'm referring to without giving too much away. So I was just curious, like I said, I know a lot of autograph collectors out there and, uh, you know, Freddie versus Jason fans, you know, obviously might want to have a hardback copy, but uh, like I said, just curious. It's not, I mean, I, I don't want to, box myself into a corner maybe a small limited run in the near future if there's interest but uh, as for now i'm just uh, happy to have gotten it out you know it, it escaped its own development hell for about a year yeah and it's you know i love the i love the idea of, of turning the whole story into you know one big story basically and you know the book re- it reads really well. There's a lot of awesome information. The interviews, I like how they're spread out a little bit. There's uh, some things that, you know, kind of break up the book, if you will. And I think that was, uh, you know, put together very nicely. Well, yeah, I wanted to tell it chronologically, starting in like 1993 with the first version, because a lot of the scripts were written in response to the last script. Oh, we liked this that the last guy did. Can you do that too? Or the last script was not what we wanted. Please stay away from this direction altogether. And so they really build and lead into one another. So I thought telling it chronologically was the right way to go. Absolutely. It's put together great. I mean, the I kind of assume that's what you, you were going with it or the way that you were going with it. I wasn't 100% sure, but obviously if you, you know, take all that into consideration, that makes perfect sense now. So I'm really looking forward to finishing it up. Like I said, it's a great read. So the people out there that are listening, 
even if you're not a huge Freddy vs. Jason fan, there's a lot of just awesome information in general, and it's definitely something that you should pick up. And also, I have a, another question before I forget, and since we were talking about the hardback version of the book, just something that I thought about while reading it is, you know, there's so much great information here that this would make an awesome DVD. Now, I know we have Crystal Lake Memories, but that's obviously not as in-depth as this book is with all the the various information between the scripts and all the other stuff. So with that in mind, have you ever thought about an actual, I guess, DVD version of this? I have not thought about it myself, but uh, more than a few people have emailed or, or chatted to me asking if I would consider it. I do think this behind-the-scenes story would lend itself nicely to that. We've seen several documentaries come out in recent years about unmade movies. There was the, the Fantastic Four movie that was made and never released, and then you know the Tim Burton Superman documentary, which it's an it's an entire behind-the-scenes tale of something that never happened or we never really got to see properly released. I think this would be great for that. I just don't have the personal ambition or bandwidth to take that on. Now, if someone else wanted to, that would be fantastic. I, I'd love to see that, and I'd be happy to provide uh, whatever support I could to it. But uh, personally, I have no ambition to, to make that happen. But it would be great. Definitely. There's plenty of information to make a full-out you know, DVD documentary. I'm, you know, I think that would be a great idea. And anybody that's out there listening, you know, you got uh, the perfect opportunity here and the right guy to provide all the information to be on board. So if anybody out there has that in mind, you know, this is the guy to talk to. All right, Dustin, I just want to thank you for your time. I appreciate you joining me this evening. I know you're a busy guy and you got a lot of things going on, but do you have any other projects that you'd like to share with us before we sign off for tonight? You know, uh, not by name. I am working on several more books uh, in the horror movie genre, but nothing that I want to talk about just yet. You can also pick up his Phantasm book. That book I have not had a chance to pick up yet, but I am a Phantasm fan, and it's something that I'm going to also do in the future. I've heard good things about that one as well. So where can our listeners contact you should they have any questions or comments about the Slash of the Titans? You know, I have a, a website for it, freddyversusjasonbook.com, and um, you're welcome to hit me up there if you have a comment or observation or a question. And um, there's uh, some excerpts and information about the book. If you're curious about more, you can, you can find out more on the website, freddyversusjasonbook.com. All right, that wraps up another episode of Return to Camp Blood, so please rate and review wherever you listen to the show at. If you have any questions or comments, you can contact us on our Facebook page or email at feedback at campbloodpodcast.com. This episode was brought to you by Slash of the Titans. Until next time.